Let's take our Bibles and turn now to the book of Genesis, chapter number 3. Genesis, chapter number 3. We believe the Father, the Son, the Holy Ghost. Some people don't believe in anything. They don't know anything. But somebody instructed us, and we're so grateful for that. I want to read verses 17 through 19 to begin the message this morning. Genesis 3, 17 to 19. And unto Adam he said, Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree, of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat of it all the days of thy life. Thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee, and thou shalt eat the herb of the field. In the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken, for dust thou art, and unto dust shalt thou return." And uh, this morning I want to bring a message about uh, understanding suffering and trying to make sense out of suffering. I would call this message perhaps uh, Understanding Why We Suffer 101. This is going to be very basic. Many of you have heard this many times. Maybe some of you are new to the Lord or to the Bible. It certainly is a big question that uh, people have, um, trying to uh, reconcile in our minds all the suffering that we see with the knowledge that there is a God of love and how, how, how do those two reconcile with each other. These are deep questions that people have struggled with since the beginning of time. We, uh, I've seen a lot of suffering lately. You have too. And we always will uh, in this veil of tears that we walk through. Uh, this week we had such a wonderful privilege of working with evangelists David and Joy Corn. My wife and I ate with them a couple times. They have a son who has cerebral palsy. And uh, we tried to eat with them and we watched them try to take care of their son and then three other children at the same time and eat. And uh, we thought about uh, them living in a little uh, fifth-wheel trailer uh, for a living, uh, going around in a like a converted bus. Uh, this this coming up at old time is going to be their ninth consecutive week of what we just did. So if you thought you were tired after this week, uh, you can imagine them. And I, I I watched her and him share in the care of their son who needs almost undivided attention. He's their oldest son. And uh, we, uh, we saw their suffering. Uh, one of our dear sisters in Christ, you don't know her, but Jean Arnold, she goes to our church in Countryside, Perrysburg. Uh, she had brain surgery yesterday up at Gates Vascular. She had a, a, a tumor on her brain the size of an egg, and it was benign. We thank the Lord for that. But she had that. Uh, she's been dizzy. 
uh, off balance, forgetful, hasn't been able to come out to church as much as she would like. She's such a sweet, dear lady. Every one of you would probably fall in love with her just in about uh, two minutes if you talk to her and you'd look at her and say, why? And um, there's, there's all kinds of suffering in our church. There's suffering in any church you go to amongst some very, 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 very good people by human opinion. Very good people. And we all struggle with this, uh, some of us more than others. Charles Darwin once said, at the end of his life, he said, I never meant to write so atheistically. He said, it's just that there's so much suffering in the world. Darwin was not an atheist. He wasn't a very good scientist either. Um, but uh, he, he said that's what compelled him to try to find a different reason for the origin of species. Uh, because for a while there he said there can't be a God of love when we see all this suffering. And so he went to that extreme where he said, so if there's no God, there's no creation, so how did we get here? And, and uh, him and Charles Lyell and others like that kicked off a, just a, an indoctrination that has poisoned the world since, has led to the greatest slaughter of human beings. I mean, all the great slaughterers of all time. Uh, Joseph Stalin, maybe the worst. Adolf Hitler, Pol Pot, Vladimir Lenin, all of them, just list them. Benito Mussolini, they were all evolutionists, every one of them, 100%. 100% of them were evolutionists who believe in the survival of the fittest. And so let's get rid of the unfittest and let's speed up evolution a little bit here. And uh, that all started back in the 1800s and has really become an, 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 you know, staunched in our colleges, universities, public schools. And it's bred from that thinking like... If there's a God of love, then why all of this suffering and murder, uh, disease, uh, children suffering? And so we want to try to make sense out of that. And of course, the Bible, I believe, is the answer book. You don't get very far in the Bible when you read this in Genesis 1 and verse number 31. Genesis 1 and verse 31 says this, And God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. It was very good. And the evening and the morning were the sixth day. When God made everything and he finished it, it was very good. Very good. There was no suffering. There was no murder. There was no disease. There was no corrupted gene pool where diseases and infirmities are sometimes passed down from generation to generation. Everything was perfect. I don't understand it, but a plant never died. In paradise, in the Garden of Eden. Never got disease, never got blight. 
I was talking with a farmer this week. He says, I'm going down my rows of tomato, cutting out the blight. And it seems, it says, it seems like when I get to the end of the one row, cutting out the blight, I go back and it started over again. I know that from farming days. But not in the Garden of Eden. No plant ever died. No animal ever died. No insect ever died. They never got sick. They never suffered. They never had to be taken to the vet. Adam and Eve were perfect. They never suffered. Uh, there was no mosquito bites and flea bites and poison ivy and bee stings and sunburn. It was paradise. It was perfect. We, you've got to, to understand suffering. You've got to understand when God was done with his work, it was very good. You've got to know that when people question you. This week, Pastor, why did God let three of my children die? I said, God's going to let everybody die. All eight billion of us, whether they're your children or not, we're all going to die. But that's not his fault. When God was done, he made everything very good. Paradise, perfection, peace. When God was done, everything was perfect. I've said that to dozens and dozens of people. Why? I have an answer. The blame must go somewhere else. It was very good. Well then, in our text, he said unto Adam in verse 17, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and hast eaten of the tree of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it, cursed is the ground for thy sake. In sorrow shalt thou eat it all the days of thy life. Who's the suffering blamed on? Adam? Adam? Verse 18, thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee. Thou shalt eat the herb of the field, and the sweat of thy face shalt thou eat bread, till thou return unto the ground, for out of it wast thou taken. For dust thou art, and unto dust thou shalt return. Because thou, and the blame shifting starts. Keep your place here, but turn to Proverbs chapter number uh, 19. Proverbs chapter 19 and verse number 3. I want to show you a great fault in man. Then we'll go right back to Genesis. Here's a great fault in man. It says in verse 3, Proverbs 19, The foolishness of man perverteth his way, and his heart fretteth against the Lord. It is the nature of fallen man in his foolish, perverted way 
to have his heart fret against the Lord. Why did God? Why did God? Why did God? I call it the Blame God First Club. Most human beings are members of the Blame God First Club. When if they just simply read the first few chapters of Genesis, they would say, whoa, it's our fault. All this suffering. God made everything good. God made it very good. God made it paradise. God made it perfect. God made it peaceful. It was so pure that Adam and Eve, chapter 2, verse 25, were naked and they weren't even ashamed. That's how pure it was. When God finished. I like to defend God. The problem is I'm all alone many times. Because the heart of man fretteth against the Lord. Blame God first. Blame God first. That's how man thinks. But God said, because thou... So I've said Satan, I've said the source of suffering has come from three, uh, three areas, Satan, self, and sin. When you get to chapter number three, the fall of man, and then we saw the judgment already in verses 17 through 19, God had adequately given man a warning. In chapter two, And verse 16, he said, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden thou mayest freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat of it. For in the day that thou eatest thereof thou shalt surely die. That's pretty clear, isn't it? That's pretty clear. They had acres and acres and maybe maybe miles and miles, maybe hundreds and hundreds of square miles of wonderful trees with amazing fruit. And there was a canopy over the earth at the time and the, the oxygen was so much greater. And I, I remember uh, reading a couple years ago about a man who made a room with uh, oxygen that he felt was the same purity of the Garden of Eden and he planted one tomato plant and the next thing you know is one tomato plant was 30 feet high with just hundreds and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of tomatoes on one plant. And I'm seeing pictures of this like, wow, one tomato plant. God made an amazing place for Adam and Eve. But so that man was not a robot who was forced to worship God and serve God, God had to give him a free will. He had to give him a choice. Or he wouldn't be a free moral agent. He wouldn't have a free will. So God planted all these hundreds and thousands of acres, I don't know how many, of of amazing plants that you and I cannot even imagine how amazing paradise was. But he put one tree in the midst of the garden, and to give man a choice, he said, don't eat of that tree. The day you eat thereof, you're going to die. And it's not going to be good. There's going to be a curse on the ground. Things are going to die And what we read in verses 17 through 19. So... God gave him a warning. 
He said that to Adam. Adam then taught his wife Eve because she quoted it perfectly when she's being tempted of the devil in chapter 3 and verses 1 through 6. Let's look at that. The Lord just said, But of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil thou shalt not eat thereof. So God gave man a choice because he didn't just want us to be robots who were forced to go around and worship him. He wanted people who, had, who have a free will, would worship God, praise God, love God, walk with God. So he gave them a choice. Now somewhere along the line, the angels were made the same time Adam and Eve were made. They were made by the innumerable number. Adam was not the first sinner. Lucifer was. Uh, you can read about that in Ezekiel 28 and Isaiah 14. Lucifer was the first sinner. And then there were millions and millions and millions and millions of other sinners before Adam. Because the numbers of angels were innumerable, and one-third of them followed Lucifer in his rebellion against God, his revolt against God, this cherubim, this angelic being named Lucifer, fell and became what we know as the devil or Satan. And then millions or an innumerable number, about one-third of the angels went with him. And also rebellion. Uh, that's why rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. It's a satanic thing. And so there was a lot of sin. The whole ha- One-third one of all the angels had become corrupted already before Adam ever sinned or Eve. So there was some time, I don't know how much time, some proposed maybe a hundred years where Adam and Eve lived in the Garden of Eden and purity and perfection and peace and paradise. We don't know. Nobody knows. We're not going to know that until we get to heaven. Sometime that rebellion and revolt took place in heaven that you can read about where uh, Lucifer tried to usurp authority over the throne, tried to be God, began to worship himself because he was so good looking. Sound like today? Good looking people think they're really something till they shrivel up like a prune someday in their old age. Have to wear diapers. Kind of humbles them at the end, doesn't it? We should be humbled at the beginning. Now wait till that. So we come to verse number one. It says, now the serpent, later in the Bible, that is revealed to be the devil and Satan. It's called the serpent here. Was more subtle than any beast of the field. He's now fallen. He's, God says, nope, there's only going to be one God in heaven. He kicks him out. God's still on the throne. Amen. And uh, the angels, and they have access, and there's, there's, there's a, long, a lot of doctrine to devils, and there's a book out here on angelology when you go out. Pick it up and read it. They still have access and everything, but their day is coming. They know that they have a short time. So he comes down, and he says to Eve, he corners the woman and says, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. And so her husband, Adam, had taught her very well. 
This is what God says about this. Let's stay away from this. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die. And so he's a liar. Jesus one time said, You are of your father the devil. For the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. Because he abode not in the truth. Because when he speaks, he speaks a lie. There's no truth in him. He's a liar. And he lies bluntly, bold-faced lie to Eve. First lie ever told. You shall not surely die. For God doth know in the day ye eat thereof, and your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. There's another lie. It's the same lie he teaches women today. No difference. There's women all over the world who think feminism is some new thing that they achieved in this last century. No, it's the same nonsense Satan taught Eve in the garden. You don't have to listen to God. You don't have to listen to your husband. You don't have to listen to what God said. You can be your own God. You can determine for yourself, ladies and men, what's good and evil. Sounds like today. We live in a country that's trying to determine for ourselves what's good and evil. And the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's the lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. That's the pride of life. Well, I can be smart. I can be my own God, verse number four. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. And so she did eat it and gave it to her husband with her, and he did eat. Now, when we transgress the law of God, they only had one law. Don't eat of that tree. That's the only law they had. But in 1 John 3 and verse 4, way in the back of your Bible, you don't turn there, but it defines sin this way. It says, sin is the transgression of the law. Transgression means to break. What is a a sin? A sin is when we break one of God's laws. Whatever it might be. If he says don't steal, we steal. We've broken God's laws. That's a transgression or a sin. There's many other definitions of sin too, but that's one. That fits the story. So now she's become a sinner, and she's given it to her husband, and he has become a sinner, and the eyes of them were both opened, and they knew that they were naked, and all of a sudden something just snaps and rewires their brain so they're no longer pure. And they hurry and try to cover uh, themselves. Now, Eve was deceived and yet responsible. It tells us in 1 Timothy chapter number 2 and verse number 14. And Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. What does that mean? If you're fooled, you're not excused. The woman being deceived was in the transgression. She was fooled. She was faked out but she was still responsible for her actions. Ignorance is no excuse. In fact, when you get to the law of God, he required sacrifices for sins of ignorance. That means when we do something wrong, and we say, I didn't know that was wrong, still guilty. Still, you know. I was going 60 miles an hour in a Mustang down in uh, North Carolina once. Uh, Rental. It was a really neat Mustang. I had it out on the beach, and uh, that was pretty neat on the sand, just really opening up. But um, lights, 
in the back on a road, and the guy comes up and says, do you realize you're going 60 miles an hour? I said, yes, sir, that's exactly what I was doing, 60 miles an hour. He says, this is 45. I said, you're kidding. And he said, no, there's a sign right back there. It says 45. I didn't see the sign. I was ignorant. It wasn't an excuse. He said, that'll be $383. How would you like to pay for that? I'm going, whoa. He said, you better give me a bill. I'll mail you a check. So I did. I, I had to, wow. Ignorance. I didn't know. I didn't know I had to accept Jesus Christ as my personal Savior to be saved and go to heaven. Too bad. Ignorance. The woman being deceived was in the transgression. But God put the blame on Adam also. Romans 5.12 says, Wherefore as by one man sin entered in the world, and death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. Whereby one man sin entered into the world, Adam. Adam was not deceived, it says. He knew. He knew. But he was probably, like many men, influenced by a woman whose influence often in a man's life is greater than that of God. Ever seen men like that? And so he became a sinner. And then came the curse. Because God is a judge. He's a holy God and a God of justice. He gave a law. The law was broken. A just judge has to punish the law. He had already told him beforehand, here's the punishment. You're going to die. He already warned him. Clear as could be. And with that came the curse. Cursed is the ground for thy sake. Friends, this is the origin of all suffering. Not God. Satan. Selfishness. A selfish woman said, wow, does that sound good. What I can be promised in this life. And then they ate of the fruit, which was sin. And they became fallen. I want to encourage you to get in the habit of blaming Satan. The Lord goes on and he says to, first of all, verse 14, And the Lord said unto the serpent, Here's your judgment. And then he says unto the woman in verse 16, Here's your judgment. And then he says unto the man in verse 17, Here's your judgment. Is God unrighteous? That judges? Is the judge in town unrighteous? Can we blame our suffering on the judge in town? Let's say one of us goes out and murders somebody. That'd be a horrible thing. And the judge says, I sentence you to jail for the rest of your life without any chance of parole whatsoever in solitary confinement. <laughs> so the person goes to prison. And there they are sentenced to solitary confinement for 23 hours a day for the rest of their life without any chance of parole. Now, I don't think they have that extreme of judgments nowadays, but they used to. Can that murderer sit in that cell and say, my suffering was caused by 
the judge. The judge caused this suffering, me being in this cell every day for the rest of my life. Would we buy that? But that's how the blame, the blame God first club works. All the suffering, the disease, the mental afflictions, emotional afflictions, and, and so on. To understand suffering, we, we, we've got to understand it's, it's, it's the devil's fault. It's man's fault. It's not the judge's fault. Does that make sense? And it, it might set you free, because I don't know what you're questioning in your heart about God. So I said to this dear lady, I said, you, get, you keep asking why and why and why and why and why. You need to start questioning what. What does God want me to learn through this? And I'll tell you what God wants you to learn through this. We're all sinners and the wages of sin is death. Whether it's your kids, my kids, or whatever, all eight billion of us are dying. All eight billion of us are on death row right now, slowly taking our last breaths, counting them down, till all eight billion of us are going to die without any exception. Because of sin. You can't blame that on the judge. Understand the origin of suffering. It's, just, it's in the first couple chapters of the book. Now let's go to chapter 4 in closing. And I want to make a second point. This is just introductory. But here's something that really set me free. If you could get a grasp of this, because I really struggle with some of this stuff. Number two is we need to understand that sin is active. Sin is active. Some people say, I can't believe what that person did to me. Why can't you believe it? Why can't you believe it? Was that person a sinner? Why does it shock us when sinners sin? Why does it shock us when, in the course of their sin, they run over other human beings? Why does that shock us? In fact, why shouldn't we get to the place where we expect it? I expect human beings to do me dirt. And so I'm going to have forgiveness ready. It's happening. It's going to happen. I can't believe that pastor said something about me 40 years ago. You should have got over that before the sun set, the Bible says. Let not the sun go down on your wrath, not 40 years later. But you don't know how I have been abused. I could give you a sob story. My whole childhood. I got a brother greatly damaged by it. You know what set me free? I want to show you a verse in closing. Turn to Romans 7 and verse 5. Again, many of you know this already. It's just review, but this will help you right here. I can't believe my husband left me. Can't believe my wife left me. Can't believe my kids won't talk to me. 
Why not? Are they sinners? What do sinners do? They sin. Can't believe some drunk come over the hill, hit me head on, killed my son who was sitting in the front row. I've had a man who I've talked to about for decades, and it's all God's fault. He said, I sat by the road with my son, and he died in my arms. Why did God do that to me? I said, a drunk came over the road and hit your head on. It wasn't God. God wrote a book that says, human race, don't get drunk. That's how I've talked to him before. Still not saved. It's all God's fault. Blame God first, club. The guy was drunk. Out of his mind. Why does it surprise us when sinners sin? And this is a verse that set me free from hatred, from bitterness, from unforgiveness that I had to live through growing up. You don't know the half of it. It says in Romans 7 verse 5, For when we were in the flesh, the motions of sins, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. Do you ever read through your Bible casually and then God just says, stop? Look at that phrase. Think about that for a few hours. I bless meditation. I bless the practice of meditation. I bless the discipline of thinking deeply about the things of God. Right? Meditate upon these things. Give thyself wholly to them that thy profiting may appear unto all. Stop, art, stop, art. Stop. What does that say? And that phrase popped out on me one day, the motions of sins. And I said, that was it. The person who abused me the most was a sinner. Her sin sin is always active. It always takes motion. And it always runs over people. And you were in the way. Ah. So I started praying for that person, praying for their salvation, forgave. Because I had thought of times in my life where I hurt people intentionally. Intentionally hurt them, intentionally said things about them, intentionally physically harmed them. And I felt so bad. I have a conscience. And I said, man, look what I did to this person. I can remember people that I hurt in high school who are dead now, and there's absolutely no way I can say to them, you know, I didn't treat you right when we were growing up. Could you please forgive me? It's all over. I hurt people. One day, I massacred God's son on a cross the most innocent one that ever walked the earth. My sins nailed him there. The greatest injustice of all was when my sins were placed on him 
And he had to die for me. And I thought about that and I said, boy, I hurt the Lord, I hurt God's son, Jesus Christ, by my sins. This person hurt me. Sin is always active. Crucify him. Crucify him. And Pilate said, no, I find no fault. Crucify him. And finally, Pilate just said, okay. And then Pilate flogged him, delivered him to be crucified. Sin, sin is active. You've got to understand that if you're ever going to understand suffering. If you're ever going to understand suffering, you've got to understand sin is never dormant. Sin is always active. Sin is too stupid to see beyond itself and who it's hurting. And I have to raise my hand and say, I've, I've hurt people. Paul, hey, he had to say, I, I have to forget those things that are behind. I killed people. I killed good Christians, fathers and mothers. I left little boys and girls orphans. Why? Because I killed them. Why? They were Christians. I hated them. I compelled them to blaspheme. I committed them to prison. I consented to their deaths. Paul said, I have to forget those things that are behind. Press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Paul, why did you do those things? You should read this chapter this afternoon. Verse 8, Paul's talking about himself, but sin taking occasion by the commandment wrought in me all manner of concupiscence. For without the law, uh, sin was dead. And he, he goes on to say um, in uh, verse uh, how, how, how sin, how he couldn't stop himself. Read the whole chapter. I don't have time to. You should read Romans 7 where Paul explains, he goes so far as to even say this, not passing the buck. But in chapter 7 he says, so it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwelleth in me. He said, I was so out of control by my sin, the power of sin, that I hurt all those people. And somehow we think we're going to walk through this world that we're sharing with 8 billion sinners who are all humans who are all sinners and not get some road rage once in a while uh, maybe somebody harm us break into our house why 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 because they're sinners they're sinners now we got pot smoking drivers all over the place that's going to be fun dodging them Sinners hurt people. So I've given you two things to think about, and this, this can get deep, and we'll pick it up again, I don't know, next week, but when it will be, but this is just suffering one-on-one. You've got to understand, you've got to understand, number one, the origin of suffering. The origin of suffering. And unto Adam he said, because thou, because you did it. Satan, a selfish woman. A selfish woman. I don't care what God says, what the Bible, what his commandment is, what my husband says. I'm going to think about myself right now. 
Boy, that hurt. Sin. I asked you to turn to Genesis 4, but I didn't get to it. What happens in Genesis 4? Cain kills Abel. That's point number two. Sin is active. Sin always takes on action. Cain and Abel are both sinners. But Abel learned the secret to righteousness, and that was faith in Christ. But Cain didn't. He trusted in his own righteousness. And he got so jealous, that's a sin, so envious, that's a sin, he murdered his brother. Murdered his brother. You see, sin takes on action. That person you just can't get over in your past. It helped me to realize that person was a sinner. It helped me to realize sin is stupid. Sin is real stupid. Why would you do that? I don't know. I don't know. Sin rolls over people, hurts them. Some more than others. But it's out there. It could just be one scowl from somebody at a restaurant or something. Somebody's swearing at you because you try to give them a gospel track or something. But sin... Sin's active. You've got to understand those two things. That's the groundwork for understanding suffering and overcoming all the questions and bitterness. It's a lot deeper than that, but that's a little introduction. Let's just bow for a word of prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word today and pray that you'd help us, Lord, to realize uh, that uh, we are uh, all sinners, the origin of sin began with both Eve, who was deceived, and then the transgression. Ignorance is not an excuse. Adam, who knew what he was doing, was in the transgression. Then came the curse on the earth, thorns and thistles and flea bites and mosquito bites and poison ivy and, and uh, bee stings and crazy animals, uh, dangers, all kinds of suffering, diseases, afflictions, Mental, emotional problems, physical infirmities been passed on by the gene pool and other reasons where it all comes from is that day when man was banished from paradise, perfection, purity, and peace and left everything behind and entered into a cursed world of suffering. And here we are. But we thank you that this all ends very well for us that are saved, where there'll be no more sorrow or pain or death, or, and you'll restore paradise to those that have been born again. And God, it's not right when humans hurt others, but we've seen a little bit of the reason, the source why they do. And we've done the same. Perhaps even by refusing to share the gospel with others, we've done the greatest harm anybody can do another person is to not sow the seed of the Word of God. And so, Lord, help us. And we pray, Lord, that uh, you might set us free and give us some understanding in this life. We'll never understand it all. 
but give us your grace. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's just sing page 562, which is Just As I Am, an invitation song for you to come to Christ. If you're here today and you're not saved, come to Christ. And uh, as we sing, if you want to come down to the front here or go to the back, somebody will meet you and show you how you can know for sure that you have eternal life, that you're saved, born again, member of God's family. But you must open the door of your heart and say, God, I want you to save me. God is good. God's not bad. Don't blame Him. God is good. God is good. He sent His Son to die for us on the cross, to shed His blood, to wash away all of our sins. Can you imagine that? All of our sins. Even those where we harmed people the most, He'll just wash them away. If we'll trust in Him with all of our heart and receive Him as our Savior. God is good. And man, the stuff He has planned for us in the future, wow. don't want to miss that. Don't blame God. Come to God and you'll get saved and then you'll start getting some answers too after you get saved. Let's stand together. If you want to bring someone to Christ, go ahead and do that. If the Holy Spirit leads you to do that, Christian friend.